Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The White House holds sacred the National Day of Trans Remembrance because we have an epidemic of trans murders happening in America. Who should be the college football coach of the year, both in the Big Ten and nationally? Because that's exactly how serious we should actually be taking the White House and National Day of Trans Remembrance, folks. Also, speaking of the White House, will the American people actually hold Joe Biden's age against him this time around? Ah, yes, folks. I'm Andrew Coppins, and this, well, it's a Truth or Fiction Tuesday version of Critical Thinking. <clears throat> oh, that, that taste of the wonderful goodness that is coffee brand coffee. Do not forget, folks, you can join their Roaster's Choice program. Um, you can join their subscription service, and I still think they have the 50% off deal going on over at coffeebrandcoffee.com. Enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout for 10% off of your purchase today. Um, they have a ton of holiday flavors out there, so if you've got a coffee lover in your family, check out a brand that cares about quality, fresh roasted, fresh ground, if you don't want to grind it yourself, coffee at really good prices, and again, 10% off if you go to coffeebrandcoffee.com, enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout. Again, that is coffeebrandcoffee.com, where they care about coffee, not yours or their politics. Enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER. All right, all of that out of the way, folks. It is a Truth or Fiction Tuesday. I hope all of you are having a good week so far. I know a lot of you are busy trying to arrange your travel plans or rearrange them or do whatever you need to do or or should I start on thawing that turkey or not or or whatever's going on. All I can recommend is take some time today to just rest, to just relax, either grab a book or do something to take your mind off of all of that because you will thank me later when all the chaos that happens around Thanksgiving happens. But this is a Truth or Fiction Tuesday, and guess what? Uh, Mr. Padoni, the, the new dad. 
Yes, he actually was able to take time out of his busy dad schedule and um, had some truth or fictions. So we're going to bring his truth or fictions into the mix with mine. You could have could have participated either on Facebook or on X at The Coppin Show. As I posted yesterday, um, you could have commented your truth or fiction statements, and we really would appreciate that. If you've got something that you've been pondering or wondering about, put it into a statement form, and I'll tell you whether it's truth or fiction. That's how this works on a Truth or Fiction Tuesday. So, first up, National Day of Trans Remembrance. Truth or fiction? There's an epidemic of trans murders in America. And you might be wondering, well, wait a minute, uh, epidemic? I have not heard about a ton of trans murders. Well, we're going to get into that in just a moment because the White House had a few statements yesterday on this national day, this sacred national day of trans remembrance. This from Korean Jean-Pierre of the LGBTQ Elemental P Alphabet Soup variety. Today on Transgender Day of Remembrance, we grieve the 26 transgender Americans who were killed this year, year after year. We see that these victims are disproportionately black women and women of color. No one should face violence, live in fear, or be discriminated against simply for being themselves. Now, guess what? Statistically speaking, she is absolutely right. Of the 26 people, according to Human Rights Campaign, which I'm going to get into in a little bit, 88% of these victims were black. 26, 88% of them black. But, but here's the rub with everything that the human rights campaign, which is a far left gender queer theory activist group and has been for the longest time. Look, if you've been to a city, you've probably seen these people trying to canvas streets and, and do all this stuff. Lord knows I've experienced it time and time and time again. It's funny, they, they target places like Union Station and O'Hare and Midway it's almost as if they're trying to greet the people that come into the city with their trans activist, gender queer theory, activist BS. But, folks, here's the reality. Of course, 26 deaths, they suck. I'm pro-life. I, I don't want people to needlessly die. That, that, that is kind of the whole point of being pro-life here. But the question's not whether trans people are dying, it's actually about the stats, the data. Remember, they're claiming an epidemic is going on, okay? And this is from the Human Rights Campaign, by the way, on the topic of epidemic. Quote, the epidemic of violence against transgender and gender nonconforming people is a national tragedy and a national embarrassment, said Kelly Robinson, president of the Human Rights Campaign, one of the nation's largest LBGTQ, P Alphabet Soup, civil rights organizations. Quote, each of the lives taken is the result of a society that demeans and devalues anyone who dares challenge the gender binary. That last part's going to come in handy in just a little bit. But an epidemic? Hmm. Well, this was echoed by Joe Biden and his administration, who put out this statement. Quote, there's no place for hate in America and no one should be discriminated against simply for being themselves. While each of these deaths is a tragedy, the 
true toll of those victimized is likely even higher, with the majority of those targeted being women of color. So, if you haven't caught on, the implications of this are exactly what you would think, that people are bigoted against trans people, and it's all racist. Um, say what? Here's the rub. Based off of the definition of epidemic, okay, Here's the dictionary definition of epidemic that they're really trying to go for, right? That it's about a sudden, rapid, and growing development in a community. Sudden, growing, and rapid development. Those are the three components that give us an epidemic. Not the virus version, not the COVID version of epidemic, by the way. This is the other version, the other definition of epidemic. And that's what they are attempting to tell you is the case. Now, again, I told you the Human Rights Campaign has been tracking this data. They're an activist group. And I always, always preface any sort of data that is given to us by these groups by saying they have an agenda here. And that is important to understand. You have to understand the biasy or the biases of these organizations on anything. You have to understand that. But I'll say this. Let's use their own data. Let's use it and see if their claims are proven true by their own data. Because there's nothing better than making them own their own poop than using their own data. I largely do not accept their data premises because of their biases. But let's use their own sourcing here, okay? Did we see a massive rise from last year to this year, right? Because again, rapid development growth, right? Rapidly growing and developing trend. Okay. Last year, in 2022, according to HRC, Human Rights Campaign, 32 trans people were killed in America. This year, that number is 26. What? 26 minus 32, 32 minus 26. That's a six-person difference. And by the way, that is a... nearly 11% decline. Uh, Wait, that's not rapid, it's not growing, and it's not developing. Well, well, but, but 2022, could that have been the the height, and we're just seeing a, a decline year to year, but the trend is actually up. Well, how about in 2021? HRC told us 59 trans murders. And by the way, this is apples to apples because this isn't end of year to end of year. This is their data. Every year they come out with this on quote unquote national day of trans remembrance. 2022 was 32. This year, 26. In 2021, 59 quote unquote trans murders. 
In 2020, that number was 45. And that is when we started to see this idea in 2021 and 2022 of an epidemic breaking out. I could go on and on about trends and, and the numbers, but I, I, I don't, it's pretty obvious. We have literally seen an arc up and now down. Two years up, two years down. Now, we don't have any evidence in 2023 of this being rapidly developing, growing. No, we see none of the definition of an epidemic from a data standpoint at all. Just uh, based off of the numbers from human rights campaign in a silo, okay? But we can't just take these numbers and put them into a silo. No, no, no. We can't do that because data doesn't just exist in a silo. And we know that based off of all the studying that we have done here on COVID-19, on the Imperial College model, right? The... IHME modeling and, and all of the stuff that we have done, right, on COVID-19. You can't just take it into a silo. You have to understand it in broader context. Now, the broader context is this. HRC says that since they started tracking this data in 2023, some 202 deaths, roughly, have been noted, which means that over 67% took place in what? 2020, 2021, and 2022. Now, as a data analyst in a previous life, and I still analyze data almost all the time here, what was also taking place over the course of those three years? What other factors could have been in the mix? Oh, that's right. It was COVID. 2020, 2021, and 2022. Now, ironically, or not so ironically, 2022 was the last year that we should have seen any sort of representation of that COVID year number, and it would have been the decline of COVID's impact on all of this, which we see in the fact that it went from 59 to 32 in one year. 59 to 32. So, is that telling of an epidemic, or were 2020, 2021, and 2022 anomalies? The data and the surrounding anecdotal evidence would suggest that they're likely to just be statistical anomalies. To have three years representative of 67% of all the deaths of people who identify as trans over the course of a decade or so? Um, yeah, bro, that's a prob, right? That would tell us we need to study this information further to understand its actual impact. But that's not what human rights campaign or activist groups want to do. They want to cherry pick the data and tell you there's some sort of epidemic afoot. Here's further problems with this idea of a, a trans death epidemic. 
are we not led to believe that there's been a significant rise in the total numbers of people that quote-unquote identify as trans or non-binary in that same time period? Yes, exactly. So when we see the total number of people identifying as a group, wouldn't you also then be able to track or believe that statistically speaking, the likelihood of an increase, an incline in those numbers should exist? Absolutely. Now, as of June 2022, the Williams Institute claims that 1.3 million people have identified as trans in America. Now, it's a statistically insignificant, I'm not belittling the group or anything, I'm talking pure data. 1.3 million out of 330 million is a pretty small pinprick, okay? Now, let me ask you this. Of those 1.3 million, seeing 26 of them dying, Last year, 59, is that epidemic, statistically speaking, hell to the nerve. It is nowhere near epidemic levels, period, point blank. Neither is the 59 from two years ago. It it turns out that when you don't have large amounts of data to track this trend, you also get biased data. And I use this example all the time. If you had a parking garage and you were an application that partnered with that garage and you got... 10 phone calls um, at 10 a.m. saying that they couldn't park in the garage and the reservation that they had doesn't work because they're totally full, yada, yada, yada. And you continued to receive those phone calls, right? And you get 10 of them every single day, Monday through Friday. You get 10 of those at 10 a.m. But over the totality of those five days of the week, there are, let's see, so that'd be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, right? There are 5,000 bookings. But only 50 of those 5,000 bookings don't get fulfilled. Is that a, a problem? Is that a tweak the garage needs to make? Or is that just an anomaly and the normal course of business. Those are the types of data questions you have to ask. You cannot silo, just because I'm experiencing something in the moment, the data. The data tells us this is an absolute nothing burger. If we were to believe, by the way, that this is an epidemic, human rights campaign, what about the white 
women who experience death or um, killed by their spouses or the, the, the white men killed by their female spouse. It, statistically speaking, it's much more likely to have happened. Like, like probably about a hundred times more likely to happen in America. If we're to believe your definition of epidemic, where are you on that as an epidemic in America? I don't know. Somebody may want to talk to them about black kids killing other black kids under the age of 18. Or how about the black people who have been killing Asian people at a significantly increasing number over the last five years? Or how about the rise in killing of Jewish people by black leftist activists? I, I, what the hell are we doing here? This is all about activism. Yet ABC News and, and every mainstream media picks up this stuff as if it is gospel. Of course, that is not shocking in any way if you've been paying attention here. It is an absolutely ridiculous claim on its face that this is somehow an epidemic. Again, it isn't growing at all. It isn't even keeping up with pace of the totality of the numbers, even if you wanted to say as a percentage of the identifying group, right? It is not even close to keeping up to that pace. Not even close. If we were to see this, shouldn't you see that number dramatically increasing based off of the totality of the population? Now, how about that claim of the black trans woman dying? Now, the implication of this is racism and transphobia. Well, yes, it is true, statistically speaking, of the 26 alleged uh, victims of trans murder, 88% of them were black. Racist, right? Except for, of the known killers, 47% of them were known to the victim or were a direct family member. Now, what the human rights campaign won't break out statistically for us is how many of them are known, how many are also suspected and are of the same race. We don't know. They don't give us that data, and why not? Well, because that would pretend to tell us what. The vast majority of those people are killed by people who are just like them. Racially, it isn't a racial crime. Furthermore, I have, to I have talked about this time and time again. When you do the analysis of whom these people were, the real issue here, the real thing, if the human rights campaign cared more about these individuals, the data points that this actually points to rather than a political agenda, they would have a message that is stop using drugs, stop doing risky behavior. And what do I mean by that? Well, it turns out that um, let's just use three examples from here. 
One of the 26 individuals was a person who wielded a fire extinguisher and an axe. That's right. A fire, or excuse me, a knife, not an axe. A fire extinguisher and an axe at multiple security officers in San Francisco. Killed. Uh, Didn't just wield it, tried to stab and bludgeon security officers to death. Killed in self-defense. Um, another individual happened to be somebody who, um, brandished a gun at police officers during a traffic stop, killed in self-defense, a third person higher than an absolute kite on hallucinogenic drugs, not knowing where they were, who they are, superhuman strengthening multiple police officers, and killed in self-defense. What we do know is when you start breaking down the individuals and the allegations, three things become abundantly clear. They were living lifestyles that were super risky. And I mean this from the perspective of they were involved in taking or manufacturing and producing and selling drugs. They were also either that and involved in prostitution or just involved in prostitution. They were meeting up with random people online, of course, and doing so at 2, 4 in the morning. The message that the human rights campaign should be telling this community is clean up your act. Stop putting yourself in risky scenarios. And that's a message for everybody, by the way. If you do not want to increase your ability or not ability, I should say, if you don't want if you don't want to increase your chances of being murdered. Don't get involved with drugs. Okay, that's number one. Don't get involved in prostitution. That's number two. And stop doing stupid crap, meeting random people online that you in and doing it at their houses instead of in public first. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And why do I say in public first? Because the chances of, of that type of violence happening decrease when you do multiple meetings. Now, that's not to say that you don't totally eliminate your risk, but decreasing the risky behavior in your life. It's the same thing that people look at when people are murdered in general, by the way, in this population. What were their risk factors? It's when you build a profile of not just the murderer, but the victim. Victimology. You understand their risks. You understand who they were, what they were doing, whom they were around, and get a picture of it. Drugs, high alcohol use, Late night issues, prostitution, all of them are massive risk factors for anybody to be involved in this type of violence and murder. Is the human rights campaign talking about any of that? No, because when I did further studies of this, I think it was back in 2020 or 2019. I, I can't find the, the actual program uh, of this. I needed to dig further, but I just didn't have the time. I believe it was something like 67% of the victims were involved in exactly these types of risky behaviors. Now, does that say, does that tell me that they deserve to die? No, nobody. I am as pro-life as they come. Nobody deserves to be murdered, but there is a reality to these types of risky behaviors. And oh, by the way, also not telling somebody that you're, a dude acting as a woman or a woman acting as a dude is a risky behavior when you don't tell, when you are not honest with your partner or that you've got an STD or AIDS or HIV, right? You don't tell people those things. You kind of increase your risk factor for people having negative reactions and visceral reactions to all of that. Just saying. So this is all BS. It is all about gender politics and gender ideology masquerading as some sort of victimhood. Wait, where have we heard this before? Oh, that's right. While the Biden administration continues to gaslight us, while the Biden administration continues to hide the realities of the trans murderer of Christians in Nashville. We can't even identify that. By the way, almost as many, if not more Christians were murdered by trans people. If we want to go down the statistical road, then trans people were murdered, period, in America last year. This is not an epidemic at all. Period, point blank. Period, Point blank. For media matters out there, 
This is not an epidemic. Trans people are not being epidemically murdered in America. In fact, statistically speaking, they are less likely than almost any other population in this country, considering their growth in numbers, than any other population. Period. So, absolute fiction that this is an epidemic. All right. Moving beyond all of those things, though, Pat has his first truth or fiction submitted to us, and Pat's truth or fiction is Michigan, since he crossed out the M, is not the same without Harbaugh on the sidelines and will lose at home to the Buckeyes this Saturday by a slim margin. I'm going to take truth on both of these, and here's why. Yes, Jim Harbaugh not being on the sidelines has seemed to somehow galvanize this program. But I'm looking at the arc of these two teams on the field. Jim Harbaugh not on the field has implications of in-game duties and game planning and game management. Absolutely. It also, let's be real, there are implications for the inability to cheat or get other programs tells as quickly as you could before. Right. And then stack boxes, do things defensively or offensively and adjust in game. So you've taken that advantage away. But more importantly, I look at the arc of Michigan. I look at the arc of Ohio state. Let me ask a very simple question to you in the audience. If you care about this, Which one of these two teams is playing its best football right now? The answer to that is actually Ohio State. Their offense is much more productive. It's much healthier than it has been. Meanwhile, Michigan's defense has been pretty damn good. Not great. It was great earlier this season. Secondly, J.J. McCarthy has played worse football today than before. He is not getting better. Meanwhile, Kyle McCord, the quarterback at Ohio State, is getting better. That offense is clicking on way more cylinders than it was before. And that means we've got two programs trending in different directions. Does that mean that Ohio State will win this game? No. But I've been around the block enough to know that you pay attention to in-game and season-wide trends. You could talk about it being chemistry. You could talk about it being momentum in the game. Season-long momentum is on the side of Ohio State over Michigan. They are not dealing with the distractions of all the Jim Harbaugh stuff. Reports yesterday, right, that... uh, Jim Harbaugh is likely to be suspended for most, if not all, of 2024 by the NCAA when its investigation finishes. In which case, what are you going to do if you're Michigan? It's almost as if you've got to move on. More importantly, if you're Jim Harbaugh, you want any part of that? Nah, he's going to the NFL, folks. There's a lot of extra stuff going around in Michigan, 
And they can say all they want that this isn't a distraction, and if you can't get up for the game, you're not paying it. You're not worthy of playing at Michigan. All of those things. But these are 18 to 24 year old individuals. They're online all the time. They're on social media all the time. That's the reality. And unless you're taking phones and unless you're making them delete or this, that, or whatever, uh, unless you're doing those things, those distractions are out there. <clears throat> and this story keeps unraveling bit by bit by bit by bit. I, I just, I don't like the trend of Michigan right now. I like the trend of Ohio State. They've played a tougher overall schedule. They're more battle-tested than Michigan is. And I think at the end of the day, their defense is better against the run. They can stop the run. And does J.J. McCarthy have it in him? Do the coaches have it in them to game plan a game in which McCarthy is the person who has to win it? They used to be able to do that. We did it earlier this year, but that hasn't been the case as of late. So it'll be interesting to see what takes place. It really will be interesting. I have a feeling Ohio State wins this, and I don't even think it might be close. I think they might win by double digits, 10 to 14. So I'm going to go with truth minus the close game aspect of this. I, I, I don't know. But with that having been said, it is time for my second truth or fiction. And, of course, we are dealing with college football once again. And my second truth or fiction is Northwestern head coach David Braun should be the Big Ten and National Coach of the Year. That's right, both the Big Ten and National Coach of the Year. So for those of you who haven't been paying attention to Northwestern football and who can blame you with all the stuff going on in the world and in within the world of college football, um, yeah, um, David Braun is doing an absolutely amazing job at Northwestern. To the point of they were 1-11. Yes, I said 1-11 last year. They are now bowl eligible. They have a chance to be 7-5 on the season. They are already bowl eligible, 7-5, going up against in-state rival Illinois this weekend. Um, Not only that, but... There was the hazing scandal. The head coach, Pat Fitzgerald, fired just a couple of days, if not a day before Big Ten Media Days um, in July of this year. He was just an interim head coach. But he, oh, and, and unless we forget, there were multiple quarterbacks who had to start this year, multiple running backs get injured, offensive line issues. Defense was a little wishy-washy early on. David Braun has righted all of that. They have made them into legit contenders in the Big Ten West for whatever that is worth because it's been crap. Now, Iowa wins last week and, and clinches that division. That's whatever. But Northwestern being 6-6 six and six at a dead worst this year, nobody saw that coming. The job of him galvanizing the uh, quote-unquote talentless team putting this piece together when they started so bad, they looked God-freaking-awful to start this year. I mean, terror-horrible, and righted all of that ship. So I think the question really for me is, is twofold. How do you consider coach of the year? Is it 
somebody who gets the most out of the talent and shows improvement? Or is it somebody who has a ton of talent and yet wins a bunch? Now, I have some other contenders in the Big Ten, at least. I have one other contender, Ryan Day at Ohio State. Now, a lot of this is going to hinge on the Buckeyes going undefeated, winning this Saturday in Michigan. But name a more difficult schedule that a Big Ten team has faced this season and that they're undefeated against. Oh, you can't. That's right. If they can win that game on Saturday, the game on Saturday, I can make a real argument. Let's remember, they had to replace C.J. Stroud right, who was killing it in the NFL. But they had to replace that quarterback. They had all sorts of holes on on defense to replace. That tough schedule, the expectations, all of that stuff, all of the offensive issues, the injuries at running back, sense of theme in the Big Ten this year. And yet they are undefeated going into Michigan with an opportunity to stay undefeated. And the Big Ten Coach of the Year Award will be awarded prior to the Big Ten title game. I can make a serious case that Ryan Day has done as good, if not a better overall coaching job than David Braun. I'm going to go with David Braun because he has done a little bit more with less and all of the totality of what was going on. Ryan Day doesn't have quite as much of that on his plate um, in the Big Ten. But when I look at National Coach of the Year, I also look at Jeff Brom at Louisville, right? He has built and built quickly a ACC title contender. Oh, unless we forget about the ACC title game, Mike Norvell at Florida State is also in the mix for me for National Coach of the Year. Florida State is undefeated. Now, Jordan Travis being out, that's a different story about where this season goes, but Mike Norvell has built and built and built this program from not making a bowl game just a few years ago to undefeated season, potentially. Again, we have to play the game this weekend to get there, but but an almost undefeated season. Let's see if it happens. There's a strong case that they're the best team in the country with Jordan Travis at quarterback. We'll see what happens without him. But from a pure coaching perspective, this person has done a great job of building this program, played a pretty decent schedule, won them all, could be an ACC champion, and could be in the college football playoff mix. What about Kalen DeBoer at Washington? The Huskies are an absolute powerhouse. They're one of the most fun teams in all of college football to watch. They've killed almost every single ranked opponent since DeBoer came to Seattle. I think he's something like, I think it's 8-0 against ranked teams at UW. Find me, by the way, a more complete team in all of college football. Oh, wait, we're going to go down south because I think I find one. And that's Kirby Smart's University of Georgia Bulldogs who are undefeated, who have steadily built this season into an absolute powerhouse. It's Rocco Beck, that quarterback, who how in the hell they keep finding quarterback after quarterback after quarterback that just keeps getting better and better and better and better and better, and you can't beat them, and you can't beat them, and you can't beat them, and then, oh, we're going to plug and play. Yeah, that has to do with talent, but I'll tell you this. There are plenty of four-star and five-star quarterbacks out there who just have nothing when they get to college football. 
They seem to find the, that talent, then develop them into even better players than when they got there. And that's coaching for me. Kirby Smart, if they can go undefeated, if they could win the SEC and get to the college football playoff for me and face the potential for a triple peat, that's right, three straight national championships in college football, do you understand how hard that is? If that happens, he is my coach of the year, bar none. So I'm going to go with this being false, that David Braun is the coach of the year in the Big Ten or nationally. I think he's close. <coughs> but I can make a case for Ryan Day in the Big Ten and a really good case for that. Oh, and, and then I forgot about one other person I want to put on this list from a national perspective, and that is Jerry Kill at New Mexico State. Yes, I know he's a former goof. He's a former Eastern Dakota Golden Rodent coach, but credit where credit is due. He's taking New Mexico State and beating Auburn at Jordan-Hare. Yes, <clears throat> let me say that again. He took New Mexico State and has them beating Auburn in Auburn, and not just in it by a fluke. He kicked their ass. Kicked their ass. And, oh, by the way, they're 6-1 and one in, in the uh, Conference USA, and holy smokes, uh, are going bowling this year. New Mexico State, folks. Um, that plus David Braun, those are the two most improved, if you will, right? So I think it's going to be an interesting case for those five, six people. Like I mentioned, Jeff Braun at Louisville as well, taking and building that program from meh to holy smokes. They're, they're competing for the ACC title in year one. That turnaround to that program, not easy. Just ask Luke Fickle at Wisconsin. Just ask Matt Rule at Nebraska. All right, finally, on to the last of the truth or fiction statements. And it's from Pat as well. <clears throat> Bill Maher is wrong thinking Biden will lose the election just because people think he's too old. First of all, let's play what Bill Maher actually had to say on this topic. Prominent Democrats like David Axelrod calling for Biden to, quote, get out or get going. Did he say that? Get out or get going? Uh, I believe in the tweet or two and some stuff. Look, mm, people who think that Joe Biden is, is, is perhaps too old, they are right. Perhaps. <laughs> don't, don't spill the water. Something might come out of it. Uh, <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> you know... Everyone ages differently. I agree. I've said, and, I've, and, you know, so so Betty White lived to be 99. No. Mick Jagger is still twisting his ass. Mr. Right. No, I have been the one making that case year after year here against ageism. I always said it's a case-by-case case basis. It's but, a case-by-case. But case. for that argument to have teeth, it all, you also have to be the person who can go, yeah, but this is the case. And it, I, I've said it before. Do I think Joe Biden can do the job? Absolutely. Yes. I don't think he can win the job. And that's what I care about. He's going to lose because the people think he's too old and perception is reality. I think this could be true. I think this could be truth. But I think it hinges on one thing. It's not Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. 
Because then age is off the table. The two of them are almost the exact same age. I think there's a couple of years of difference. But Joe Biden just had his 81st birthday. Now, the the real true part of what Bill Maher had to say there is you've got to take this on a case-by-case basis. But one thing that I have begun to notice about Donald Trump is that he is also mentally slipping. Right? He talked about Obama, 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 when he really meant Biden, Biden, Biden these past few weeks. And he's mixing up times and dates and places and people. That's a sign of mental decline as well. Like when you do it on a frequent basis. And that's what's happening with Donald Trump at this point. Now he's got a lot going on. I understand all of those things, but he's still campaigning to become president of the United States of America, all of that sort of stuff. But if it's a a campaign between two people that are of 80 plus, Age is kind of off the table. The problem for Joe Biden is if he faces somebody like a Ron DeSantis or, God forbid, a Nikki Haley, because holy neocon warmonger. But they face either one of those two individuals from the Republican side of things. Age is on the table. And it's on the table from the perspective of, does one of these two people look like they are capable of handling the rigors of the job? And that's the rub for me. I don't think that Joe Biden can actually do the job of president of the United States of America because he shows he doesn't have the mental capacity to do so anymore. He is being propped up time and time again. This is the part of the Bill Maher statement that he doesn't understand. He didn't connect. And it's the people around him are doing his job for him. We understand he's not really even taking briefings. He's not, nah. He's not even mentally checking in most of the time. It's people propping him up weekend at Bernie's, Geppetto style, whatever you, you know, phraseology or whatever you want to use. The reality is Joe Biden is a puppet. He's not doing it on his own because he's not capable of doing it on his own. He's also not capable of a real campaign either. But we'll see if the Democrats and their their media wing are going to call him out on that because they didn't in 2020. They allowed him strategically, very smartly, to hide in his basement and get away with it in 2020. They didn't allow the same grace to the other side of the candle, though, the other side of the coin, if you will. But I think if if if... The GOP is running a Ron DeSantis. It's not about the age. It is about the mental capabilities. When you compare the two apples to apples, put them side by side. Will the Dems allow that? Would they put them on the same debate stage? That would be a fascinating, fascinating experiment to see. Because if they were to put him on the debate stage, he would look like the mental midget that he is right now. And that's not to say that, oh, wait, yeah, he's always been a mental midget. He's not really smart, doesn't really think on his feet very well, has had gaffes his entire life. Now, the only thing smart that he's allegedly done has been uh, to be able to cook the books well enough for people not to notice that he's been, oh, that's right, laundering money in a literal Biden crime family fashion. Now, whether that's Joe Biden's doing or he's just a beneficiary of the rest of them remains to be seen. 
But the reality here is that Joe Biden's age is off the table if it is Donald Trump. If it is not, it is on the table, and it will be on the table from the from the perspective of the, the simplest answer is, do you want somebody who can do the job, or do you want somebody who is beholden to everybody else to do the job for them? The, di- the, the absolute dichotomy, the contrast between a Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley type, or even a Viv- Vivek Ramaswamy type of individual versus Joe Biden would be amazing to watch play out. With that, folks, I hope you have a good rest of your day. I will be back tomorrow probably with some best and worst takes heading into Turkey Day. But until then, please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals today, and as always, Matthew 547.